This morning, as we consider the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, we turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, where is recorded what is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I am come out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. 
And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. On the basis of that inspired word of God, we give our attention to the instruction in Lord's Day 47 of our Heidelberg Catechism as it expounds from Scripture the Lord's Prayer. And in Lord's Day 47, the first petition, question and answer 122, which is the first petition? Hallowed be thy name. That is, grant us first rightly to know thee, and to sanctify, glorify, and praise thee in all thy works in which thy power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth are clearly displayed. And further also that we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions, that thy name may never be blasphemed but rather honored and praised on our account. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, many of you might remember that at the end of Moses' life, we have the account of Jehovah speaking with Moses. We find that in Exodus 33. And we read in verse 11 of that chapter that the Lord spoke with Moses face to face. He did so from the cloudy pillar in the tabernacle. And the context Text, as was often the case in Moses' life, was the rebellion of the children of Israel and God's command to Moses, Say ye unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. And Moses as the mediator of the covenant in the Old Testament, the one who was the God-appointed type of the Messiah who was to come, pleaded on behalf of God's people with the appeal to God's promise and to the fact that Israel was identified with him 
Consider that this people is thy people, pleaded Moses. He pleaded grace in God's sight. The Lord told him, thou hast found grace in my sight. But Moses longed for more. Moses longed to see the Lord's glory. But God's glory is too great to be seen by any human being. God would reveal his goodness. He would proclaim his name Jehovah. He will be gracious to whom he will be gracious. He will show mercy to whom he will show mercy, he said. But he also said to Moses, Thou canst not see my face, for no man shall see me and live. So great is the glory of God that he placed Moses in the cleft of a rock and covered him with his divine hand as he passed by. And this God, transcendent in glory, is the God to whom we pray, hallowed be thy name. The fact that we pray to him, not frightened to flee from him, is because we now stand in the same relationship to him as did Moses. He's our heavenly father for Jesus' sake. For Moses... That relationship came by way of faith in the promised Messiah. We stand in that relationship by faith in the one who has become flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. And he went to the cross for us and reconciled us unto God and arose and ascended to the right hand of God in heavenly glory. In him, our foremost desire is the glory of our God, of our heavenly Father. Our prayers, therefore, reveal our deepest convictions about God, about ourselves as well, and the world in which we live, as those redeemed by Christ, So we pray, hallowed be thy name. Now, that word, hallowed, that word hallow is not in the modern usage of the English language. It's an archaic word. It simply means to make holy or to consider holy, set apart. The prayer is not the request that God make his name holy. He is holy. Always has been, even from eternity. But when we consider the various petitions of the Lord's Prayer, 
We are expressing a desire for ourselves in relationship to our Heavenly Father. And fundamentally, that desire is for grace. Grace that we might live by faith in this relationship in which we stand, and that with respect to every area of life for which Jesus taught us to pray. But foremost in our prayer is that we live by faith with respect to the name of our Heavenly Father. As we consider this first petition, we are called to examine ourselves as to whether we really are walking in the faith when it comes to our relationship to our God. Do we truly desire to know God rightly? to give such consideration to his works that we sanctify and glorify and praise him always? Do we truly hold his name in such esteem that we long for grace to so order and direct all our thoughts, words, and actions in such a way that his name is not blasphemed, but rather glorified and praised on our account? In that light, I call your attention to the first petition of the Lord's Prayer under the theme, Hallowing Our Heavenly Father's Name. By our knowledge, first of all, by our confession, secondly, and by our life. In the first place, our Heidelberg Catechism, in its exposition of the first petition, speaks of hallowing the name of our Heavenly Father by rightly knowing Him. And that not only in who He is, but in the way He reveals Himself in all His work. Let's remember that the name of God is that by which he reveals himself to us. The only way we can know God is by revelation. We speak not of some mystical experience, but of God's revelation of himself by his name and by his works. Apart from God making himself manifest to us, we could not know him. Isaiah 40, verse 18, makes us face the question, To whom then will ye liken God? To what likeness will ye compare him? We can't see him with these earthly eyes. We cannot hear him with these earthly ears. He's a spirit and therefore outside the realm of our earthly perception. If we are to know him, he must come to us on our level and make us know him, make himself known to us in a way that we can understand. And he does. 
the infinite God, transcendent in the heavens, the glorious, incomparable, incomprehensible God, comes down to us, to our level, to us creatures whom he has formed in his own image, and he speaks to us in language that we can understand. That's revelation. It's true, he manifests himself to every human being. He makes known his glorious name by the works of his hands, never leaving himself without witness, even to those who never hear the gospel. He manifests his eternal power and Godhead so that even when one claims to be an atheist, denying in his heart that God is, or an agnostic who says we cannot know whether there is a God, they are left without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they knew him. They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Romans 1 verse 21. But to us, his chosen people in Christ, he has revealed himself as our Father for Jesus' sake, the God of our salvation. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 and 10, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them to us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, Yea, the deep things of God. But when Lord's Day 47 speaks of God clearly displaying his power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth in all his works, we have to see more than what an unbeliever sees in the works of God's hands. The Catechism is speaking of something far beyond what Romans 1 verse 20 speaks of when it speaks of God's eternal power and Godhead being seen clearly even by the ungodly. It's true that this creation reveals the virtues of God of which the Catechism speaks. But that's all been lost to man's blindness. His spiritual blindness as a consequence of the fall into sin. What a tremendous change took place in creation, let alone in man after Adam's fall. The fall not only brought man into spiritual darkness and death and entailed the unspeakable loss of true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, the very contents of the image of God in which man was created. 
But man's fall also brought the curse of God upon the entire creation. Think of it. Before the fall, there was no death of any kind in the creation. The animals, which today are animals of prey, killing and tearing apart and devouring other animals, then lived together in perfect harmony. The lion and the lamb, the bear and the fawn, Adam and Eve lived in beautiful harmony, without sin, enjoying in paradise, enjoying God's fellowship in paradise and each other's fellowship in a way that you and I can't even understand. But with sin came death, and death that permeates man's nature and devours the entire creation. So yes, God's eternal power in Godhead is still seen. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where his voice is not heard. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 3 but God's eternal power and Godhead is seen in devouring wrath. Wrath that also brings the sinner to a certain end. That's why it's so important that we have more. That we know God as the God of our salvation in Jesus Christ. The Catechism emphasizes that this petition, Hallowed be thy name, is the prayer for grace rightly to know our Heavenly Father. And the importance of that is found also in the passage that we read this morning, John 17, where we have what is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. In verse 3, he prayed, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The knowledge for which we pray, therefore, is the knowledge which is life eternal. We pray in the confidence that God is our Heavenly Father only because he has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, wrote the apostle John in John 1 verse 14. The word, the eternal son of God, true God of true God, the one who created all things, John 1 verse 3, took upon himself our flesh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, in the Virgin Mary, God became a baby in Bethlehem. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the Word become flesh, 
revealed God as the God of our salvation, speaking to us the words of truth, of grace, of redemption. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us, Romans 5 verse 5, the spirit of the exalted Christ, because he died on the cross bearing our guilt and sin. And he who is the righteous one perfectly satisfied God's justice on our behalf. And having accomplished God's purpose in redeeming his people from the death that embraced them, Christ arose from the grave, the victor over sin and death. He arose as our head in whom is our life. By him, we have been adopted as children of God, those who now love him, who seek his glory, who desire to lift up his name and the name of his exalted son, the only name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So we pray in this first petition, longing to know him rightly, desperate not to misrepresent him and his cause. This knowledge is first. That is, in praying, hallowed be thy name, we are asking God first that we might rightly know him. If we don't know him rightly, we cannot possibly sanctify his name. We cannot possibly hold forth his name to his glory. We must be zealous for the truth. Today, there are multitudes in the Christian church for whom truth means nothing. They downplay it. They reject the importance of knowing the truth distinctly, rightly. If only we love Jesus, they say. That's all that's necessary. Where you go to church doesn't matter much. We're all looking to the same heaven, they say. So attending a church isn't a matter of seeking rightly to know the only true God, but rather what's in it for me. But when you look at the Lord's Prayer and this first petition, there is no I. There is absolutely no reflection of what's in it for me. The Lord would have us focus on his identity and the glory of him to whom we pray. Hallowed be thy name. That is, grant us first rightly to know thee and to sanctify, glorify, and praise thee. Let us not forget Jesus' heavenly petition. And this is life eternal. 
that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. We must know the only true God. That's why we come before his word. That's why we use the means that God has given us, faithful preaching and catechism instruction. Our prayer is that God preserves those means and uses them that we might rightly know him, know him in all the glory with which he reveals himself to us in his word, his glory also in the face of Jesus Christ, in whom alone we are saved. And that means, too, that we long that his name be kept pure. Pure by us. So that we hear faithful preaching. And that our children not only devote themselves to knowing their catechism lessons, but that they are faithfully taught. That they might rightly know their heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. We ought to understand that this petition, therefore, means also that we seek grace rightly to use the means that God has given us that we might increase in that true knowledge of him. We want to know him more and more. Well, how is that possible if if these means are treated by us as unimportant? How can you express your desire for to pray the first petition and neglect the means of grace? How can you truly express that you desire grace to know God rightly and not show up for catechism instruction or not give attention to what is required of you that you might grow in that knowledge? But then let's also be reminded that the knowledge that we seek is not merely to know about God. It's not merely intellectual knowledge we seek. We seek the knowledge of relationship. That's what it is, rightly to know the only true God. We seek the knowledge of God as our Father, the knowledge of his covenant fellowship with us in Jesus Christ. Jesus did not pray, and this is life eternal, that they might know about thee. James writes in his epistle, the devils know about God and tremble. If we do not rightly know him to whom we pray, our prayers will remain impotent empty of life itself. If we do not rightly know the God to whom we pray, we cannot possibly live in love for him to the glory of his name. 
in this first petition, we seek the knowledge that only God can give us. The knowledge that comes by his embrace and his drawing us unto himself. We seek the knowledge that's only in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's what it is to pray, hallowed be thy name. But that knowledge doesn't stand alone. And that brings us to our second main point this morning. The second way this petition expresses our desire that God's name be hallowed by us is in recognition of the fact that God will also have his name proclaimed by us, confessed by us. The Catechism, in this connection, points in its footnotes to Psalm 71, verse 8. In Psalm 71, verse 8, the psalmist prays, Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and thine honor all the day. To confess God's name is to sanctify, glorify, and praise him. It's the reason for which God created us. I have created him for my glory, he says, of everyone called by his name, Isaiah 43, verse 7. That truth is repeatedly emphasized in the New Testament. He who predestinated us in Christ Jesus and who works all things after the counsel of his own will did so that we should be to the praise of his glory Ephesians 1 verse 12, with the apostle repeating what he had written in verse 6. To glorify his heavenly Father was the purpose for which Jesus did the work the Father had given him to do, as we heard in John 17. Do you recognize that as the purpose of your life? to sanctify, glorify, and praise God in all his works is to esteem his holiness, to value his glory, to confess the majesty and greatness of God as the God of our salvation, to sanctify him is to esteem his holiness so highly that we consecrate ourselves to his glory as our heavenly father. It is to bear his name faithfully. You understand, I am sure, that this is a calling for which we are not sufficient. That's why Jesus taught us to pray this petition. We are dependent upon the Spirit of Christ ministering to us the grace that we do this, that we bear God's name faithfully. Our prayers can quickly degenerate into seeking our own concerns. We would like a comfortable life, free from pain, 
from affliction, from the trials that we so often face. But this first petition is a powerful reminder that we are to consecrate ourselves not to our own comfort, but to God's glory. So that when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we are praying, Father in heaven, give us the grace that thy name may be sanctified by us, so that our hearts are the sanctuary of thy grace, and so that our lives throughout might be consecrated to thee and to the glory of thy name. And then also, we will praise and glorify our Heavenly Father, recognizing that all his works clearly manifest his majesty. And by his majesty, we mean, as Lord's Day 47 puts it, his power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth. To glorify and praise the name of our Heavenly Father is to confess with the mouth his greatness and glory, especially as that greatness and glory is revealed to us by Jesus Christ. We know that to confess Christ before men is required of us. It's required of us, not simply that we might partake of the Lord's Supper, but our Lord said in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him also will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him also will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. But it's evident from the first petition that Jesus taught us to pray in this Lord's Prayer that we seek grace not only rightly to know God, but to live with the, our, our spiritual sight upon that clear display of what he reveals about himself in his works, including his great love for us in Jesus Christ. We also need grace to overcome the hindrances of our sinful flesh and our natural desire for the favor of men in order that we might praise and glorify our Redeemer God even before those who do not know him and therefore who live, out, live without regard for him and without love for him to hallow the name of Jehovah God, to hold that name up and to confess before men his greatness and glory and our love for him requires the Spirit strengthening us against the face of much opposition. It requires the grace to see the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. 
and to realize the work that he continues to do with us by his spirit. So we confess. All that we have, Lord, is of thee. That we might know thee to the measure that we do is entirely of thee. For us to see thy power in accomplishing thy sovereign purpose in all creation is entirely of thee. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. Not by what we see with these earthly eyes. To know with confidence thy wisdom when thou dost lead us in ways beyond our comprehension, ways that even hurt and cause grief, to know that thou art guiding us in a perfect way is a knowledge that comes only from thee, the knowledge of faith. To know thy justice and mercy as they kissed each other at the cross in our perfect Savior. And that, for us, is a knowledge of faith which thou only canst give. Grant that seeing thee as our Heavenly Father for Jesus' sake, we express to thee our gratitude and praise confessing thy name in the midst of the church, but also in in the various relationships in life where we cross paths with those who do not know thee in the relationship that we do in Jesus. That's to be our prayer. That's to be our confession. That is to be our confession in the home, before our children, That is to be our confession in the church and in school. That is to be our confession in college and in the workplace. Finally, no less importantly, in this first petition we express our desire that our lives hallow the name of our Heavenly Father. Our lives. Our confession, then, is not merely a matter of what we say, but of what we do, how we live. Grant further, also, that we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions, that thy name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored and praised on our account. We ought to realize what a horrible thing it is to be the cause of God's name being blasphemed. In the opening verses of Luke 17, We have the words of Jesus to his disciples. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. 
but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. How dependent we are upon the grace of God to live to his glory. In John 17, we find throughout our Lord's high priestly prayer petitions that he makes on our behalf. Verse 11. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. Verses 15 through 19. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. We may thank God that he answers the prayers of our intercessor. So we pray that we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions that thy name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored and praised on our account. That, as the Catechism explains, is the meaning in part of the petition we bring to our Heavenly Father when we pray, Hallowed be thy name. Out of the right knowledge of God and his works in Christ Jesus, there follows the fervent desire to live to his glory and praise. Our thoughts, words, and actions are subservient to that holy desire to give thanks to the God of our salvation. That's to be the priority and the petitions that we bring to our Heavenly Father in our prayers. That doesn't mean that we have to mention this first every time we pray. That's not the point. But the motive that, that permeates all our petitions as we approach God in prayer is that God be God. That in that knowledge, we humbly and thankfully approach him in confidence. For as those whom he has given to Christ, we may boldly approach him, assured that he will answer us for Jesus' sake. Amen.
Heavenly Father, we love thee and long from the depths of our hearts to express our gratitude to thee, knowing that thou hast first loved us in thine only begotten Son, whom thou didst send not only for our redemption, but for our sanctification, that thy name might receive all glory and praise. Give us grace, therefore, to pray, hallowed be thy name. Amen.